our series this year um, for Christmas is it's all about him, H-Y-M-N, not about the him, but the real him, Jesus. And, um, and just try to say, you know, Christmas, we love talking about all the, all the wonderful things, and it's a great time for family and all that stuff, and that's true. But really, it's all about him. And so what we've been using is these couple different hymns to serve as springboards to, to launch us into God's word and then focus us on something that elevates or celebrates Jesus because it really is all about him. It's all about Christ. And what we don't want to do is get sidetracked at, at this season. It's easy to happen, isn't it? It becomes about how are we going to pay for this or that? How are we going to afford to do that? How are we going to logistically get to this grandparent's house and that person's house? And, and you know what? If you're from a real family, now don't any of you admit this. If you're from a real family, you actually also have some tensions at Christmas time. You just don't want to go to that certain house. Or you don't want that monster child to come to your house. <laughs> Because he wrecks it every time he comes, you know. And uh, so, so there's whatever the tension is, or that brother's not talking, talk to that sister in 32 years, so they won't get together. You know, or whatever it is. And so there's all kinds of things that can distract us during the season that we try to say to the whole world to remind them that all of life, not just Christmas, is really all about him. And so we don't want that to happen this year. So, so we're, we're looking at that these hymns as launch pads into the Scripture. And that's an important thing to remember. We're not preaching hymns. We're using the launch pads as springboards into God's Word. You know what? As a church, um, unless it's about God's Word, you're missing the point. And because God's Word is the thing that, that makes all the difference in the world. And so we're going to do that. We've started this series, so we're launching into, into what God's Word has to say, what these hymns can just remind us, us and launch us into God's Word. Last week, Pastor Chris um, started off our series, and he talked about the, the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the main springboard idea we had into Scripture for that one was that, of obviously, this O Little Town of Bethlehem, it reminds us about something, about being all about Jesus. That Jesus was born in Bethlehem, well, that means something. He didn't just randomly have a town. That, that Bethlehem had been prophesied to be the place that Jesus would be born. And so Pastor Chris looked at how Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy and that he's still, um, there's still all kinds of prophecies that are going to be fulfilled about his, his second coming. And so that shot, launched us into that. Well, today, um, the song that Swap sang for us is going to be my springboard into a sermon about Jesus being Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And so for me to explain what that's all about and for me to kind of set the stage for what we're going to do, what I want to do is give you a little biblical history lesson as a foundation. Is that all right today? A little history lesson? How many of you were in history in high school and said, oh, no, I hate history class? Okay, well, that's true. I'm glad you're honest. Okay. Um, I, let me ask this. Who likes the history channel? I love the history channel. So here's what I know. Some hands went up twice. So you hated history but you love the History Channel, um, and so, so I know this. History's not necessarily the problem. The teacher might be the problem. So I'm going to try to be the teacher that makes a little history lesson enjoyable today. And, and what I wanted to do, a history lesson, I mean, we're going to start way back. Uh, and, and it's not going to be the whole sermon. It's just going to be the setup of the sermon to get us to where we're going with this hymn, that, that this history lesson, I hope for some of you, some of you will be reviewed, but for a lot of you it's going to be kind of eye-opening. Because you're going to go, oh, I didn't get it before. Because we're going to start off talking about the Old Testament. 
And here's what I found about, I find about many, many, many people in the church, even if you've been in the church world for a long time. We don't understand the Bible is just one big picture. It's one story. It's actually a very simple story. And um, in, that, in, that, in that story, the Old Testament has a very particular purpose, and it's all about setting up the New Testament. And, and sometimes we don't get that. So people, a lot of times, people living on this side of Jesus, um, they want to live like they're on that side of Jesus, the Old Testament, and they don't understand. They make a lot of mistakes in their theology because they don't understand the two. Well, I can't explain all that today, but I want to, but I want to kind of set the, the stage of a history, a history lesson that's going to tie into this hymn and this idea of Jesus being Emmanuel. So where should we start? How about in the beginning? <laughs> okay? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? We know that we're going all the way back. And God created the world, and he created mankind. And the big picture that we see from that story of, in Genesis is that man lived an unbroken relationship with God in the garden. They lived under his care. They lived under God's protection. They lived under God's rule. And therefore, we could say this. They lived in the kingdom of God. They were living within the kingdom of God because that's what a kingdom is. If you think what a kingdom is, it's not about geography necessarily because geography could change in a, in a kingdom, but it's about the rulership of the kingdom. That's what a kingdom is. It's the authority and the rule and the resulting protection and provision that comes from living under the lordship of a king, right? And so that's what was going on in the kingdom. In the beginning, God created, and they were living under God's lordship. But then man made a choice in the kingdom, and... Um, and had a choice on for them that what kingdom did they want to continue to live in? So God created them. They're living under his rule and his reign. But then they had a choice. What kingdom did man, Adam and Eve, want to continue to live in? What kingdom did they want to live under its control? God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom? See, in essence, that's what happened that day that we think about in the garden with a serpent and um, fruit and Adam and Eve, and we think about all that, you know, that's a kind of a story, a snake and all this stuff. But what was really happening on that day is a choice was made. The choice was made, which kingdom would Adam and Eve choose to live in? And what do we know from history? That Adam and Eve chose Satan's kingdom because they chose Satan's rule. Now understand when I say that. I don't think that Adam and Eve fully understood at that time that that's what they were doing, but that's exactly what they did. They chose Satan's way as their way, and they rejected God's way as their way. And so what they were saying is, we're choosing Satan's rule, which means Satan's kingdom, over God's rule, which is God's kingdom. Now, interestingly, Satan framed things that day in such a way that Adam and Eve didn't probably think they were really choosing between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, but rather choosing between God's rule or God's kingdom and their own rule, and their own kingdom, their self-rule, or their, their, their self-will. Because think of how Satan addressed them that in that day. He said to them, the snake, saying, if you eat, you will become like God. He's saying, listen, um, he's not saying, if you eat, you will serve me. He says, if you eat, you will become like God. He's saying, you will be in charge. And Adam and Eve falsely believed that they were becoming their own kings, right? That's what really happened on that day. They, be, they thought they were becoming self 
ruled. We'll be like God and we can, we can be like God and rule ourselves. But here's this really important point, and someday I should preach a whole message just on this point coming up, but that in reality what we're going to see, what we see in history and what God's plan is, if there, that there are only two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And they chose to reject God's and embrace Satan's. There's no neutral middle ground. They had to choose between one of the two, either God's way or Satan's way. And they chose God's way. Now, I think they thought they were choosing a neutral middle ground, their way, but there really is no their way. There's only two kingdoms, God's and Satan's. And as a result of their choice, they chose Satan's way. What happened? Their relationship with God was altered, and they were put out of the garden, and now they lived in this world, on this planet, where two kingdoms were established and opposed each other. Now, they weren't two equal opposite kingdoms, because God created Satan, and God's over Satan, and God could destroy Satan at any time, and he's only using him for his purposes. But there were two kingdoms established on earth. See, in, in reality, from that point on, this world primarily became dominated by Satan. This became his kingdom. Because you had to choose to get in God's kingdom, and they, they had rejected God's kingdom. And so God allowed this world to be Satan's kingdom. See, that's exactly what Scripture says. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says that Satan is the ruler of this world. That's what, that's what John, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, says. But he's not alone in saying that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So we see that, that, that inspiration through God's chosen people declare to us that the world has been given, been, the control of the world has been given to Satan. That Satan is the ruler of this world, that his kingdom was and is established. And friends, since that time, every person born on this earth, no matter how cute and cuddly your child or your grandchild is, every person born has been born under the control of Satan's kingdom on this planet. Every single person. When you were born, you were born under the control of Satan's kingdom. You know, David, I hate to tell you this, but when, when Archie was born, he was born under the control of Satan's kingdom. That's where he was born, because that, that's the condition of the world. Now, with this idea being established, what we then see throughout biblical history is God reestablishing his kingdom rule for mankind. That God is inviting men and women to leave the kingdom of darkness and come into his kingdom. That's, that's what we see in the, in the unfolding of Scripture. God is once again giving humankind a choice, just like he did for Adam and Eve. He says, which kingdom will you choose? They had a choice. Where am I going to, what kingdom am I going to be in? What kingdom am I going to serve? Whose king, what king am I going to follow? And we find in scripture, God pursuing mankind like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep, inviting people in to his kingdom. Now, are you with me in your history lesson so far? Okay. Now, through the unfolding of scripture then, or unfolding of history then, 
So God sets us up. There's two kingdoms. He gives us a choice. He's pursuing us, trying to get us to go from the kingdom we were born into and to go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That that's the unfolding of Scripture. Now, as history continues to unfold, biblical history, the, the revelation of God to man, the next way that we see in Scripture how God then invited people into his kingdom was through the establishment of the nation of Israel. That he starts off with them, then he starts a nation. And he said what he's doing is he's, he's inviting the world to see, look at this is what my rule looks like. So God chose Abraham and began a nation that he, what did he do with them? He blessed them, he protected them, he guided them, he di- and he disciplined them. He was the ruler of them. If they would follow them, he still was their ruler even if they rejected him. But he was saying, listen, um, he's doing this in order to show them and the onlooking world that what it's like to live in God's kingdom. What it's like to live under God's protection and by his rules and under his discipline. That's what he was doing. He was, be- he was revealing himself, his kingdom rule, through something we could see intangible through the nation of Israel. God is revealing that his kingdom is the best and the right choice, that you should choose to go from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. When Israel lived God's way, they were blessed and they were, they were prosperous, but when they rejected God's way, they were disciplined. The nation served as a visible example of what it was to live under the leadership of God within the kingdom. Now, what do we know from history? We know from history that Israel continued to make bad choices and they continued to choose to reject God's rule. And as Pastor Chris then talked about last week, because they choose, chose to reject God's rule, they lived in this constant cycle of discipline from God where he would bring in some invading army and they would discipline them. And then they would be delivered through someone God would raise up as a representative of his kingdom's rule and power, a person like Moses or David or Gideon, where they would say, listen, follow God's way or come into his kingdom, follow his way, and then they would turn to God and they would live in his kingdom so God would deliver them once again. And so they lived in that constant cycle, the nation of Israel. God was revealing to the world, look it, if you live my way, I'll come and I'll set you free. If you reject my way, you'll be disciplined and things won't go so well. Now, that's the situation that Israel once again found themselves in at the time that we call the first Christmas. This is kind of where your history lessons now going to come on to where we are today. That's the situation, this cycle of discipline that Israel once again found themselves in at the time that we call the first Christmas. And it's the theme of the hymn that we're focusing on today. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Israel was once again in captivity, this time under Roman control, and they were longing for their next deliverer, the rise of God's kingdom again. But this time they were looking for a deliverer that was different than the other deliverers they had had in the past. Because hundreds of years earlier, about seven or eight hundred years earlier, Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that a deliverer would come. And he said exactly who he'd be. He said his name shall be Emmanuel. And they understood that Emmanuel meant the virgin-born son of God. 
that that would be different and that he would rescue their people and establish God's kingdom forever. That's what they're looking for, something different, that now the kingdom would be forever and they would experience it differently. So they were longing and waiting and praying, and the heart of what they were praying was this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. That was the heart, that was the passion of their hopes and their praise, prayers as an entire nation. That's what they focused on. Come and deliver us, Emmanuel. A man named Alfred Endersheim, a, a Christian Jew, says this about that period of time. He says, yes, they have longed to an extent that they have read it into almost every event and promise. With such earnestness that it was ever the burden of their prayers with such intensity that many long centuries had not quenched it. Its light, comparatively dim in the days of sunshine and calm, seems to have burned brightest in the dark and lonely nights of suffering, as if each gust over Israel rekindled it to a fresh flame. That prayer, that prayer, that passion, that hunger, that desire, O come, O come, Emmanuel, that they were, it was a fervor within them. They believed it's going to happen. The deliverer is going to come. God's son is going to come. That was their heart's cry. But then what happened? One day, there's this unknown man. He's a carpenter. His name is Joseph. He's engaged to a young girl named Mary, and an angel appears to him. An angel talks to him in a dream, and we see what the angel said to him. Grab your Bibles and open with me to Matthew chapter 1. Pastor Mitch referred to part of it today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. It's where our hymn comes out of. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 20, it talks about what's happening. It says, but when he had considered this, when he, when, when he had considered Joseph putting Mary away because he found out she was pregnant and he wasn't the father, it says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. In verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And that's the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. The angel said, Joseph. Joseph. The child. In your betrothed is Emmanuel. He's the one you've all been longing for, Joseph. He's the virgin-born Son of God. He's the one prophesied by the prophet Isaiah who will deliver you, and more importantly, he will establish the eternal kingdom of God forever because he is the Son of God. Through Mary's son, Joseph, God himself will be with mankind. He will be Emmanuel, God with us, and he will advance his kingdom. God had been revealing this, what it's like to be in his kingdom. He said, now it's even going to be different. Now I'm going to establish it even more and advance my kingdom. And friends, that's what we then see through the ministry of Jesus. 
If you read the pages of Scripture, what you're really seeing when you read about Jesus is you're seeing the advancement of the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, do yourself a favor this afternoon. Grab your Bible and look whenever Jesus teaches and try to find any time Jesus doesn't talk about the kingdom. You can't find it. Everything Jesus teaches is about the kingdom. He'll say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like this. Everything he teaches about the kingdom. And that's what we see is happening through, through Jesus coming doing ministry on earth. His kingdom is defeating the kingdom of Satan. Friends, every salvation, every healing, every deliverance is an advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus went around healing and delivering. He was saying, my kingdom is here, it's at hand, it's right here. And I'm showing you that it's more powerful. So he would cast a demon out of a man full of demons. God's kingdom would advance. He would heal somebody who was blind. God's kingdom would advance. He would tell somebody, choose to come follow me. And they would enter the kingdom and his kingdom would advance. That's what was going on, the unfolding of history through Jesus' in light, Jesus's life and ministry. In fact, Jesus said this. He said the gates of hell would not be able to withstand or prevail against the advancement of the church, which is God's representation of his kingdom on earth. He says, my kingdom's going forward. It's going to advance. And unlike their former understanding of the time before Emmanuel, the kingdom of God from that day on, Jesus was explaining a mystery that from that time on, God's kingdom wouldn't be limited to just one group of people, the nation of Israel. He was tr- Before that, they, everybody really thought that because he was revealing to the world, this is what it's like to be in my kingdom. Serve me and this is how it goes. Reject me and that's how it goes. He was trying to say, listen, make a right choice. But now he's saying, listen, it's not just for Jews. It never had been, but they didn't understand. The New Testament said it was a mystery. And they became, Paul says, he goes, here's the mystery that's being unfolded now before your eyes. That this isn't just for Jews anymore. It's for everybody. He said, you didn't get it. They were all, everybody's been included. But now I'm going to say it clearly that anyone can enter the kingdom of God. Anyone can choose to respond to God's invitation. And it takes God's invitation. He calls us. And anybody can choose to respond to that invitation to enter into life in his kingdom. And I love the way um, an author, James Bryan Smith, says this. It's a book we're reading on Wednesday nights in our, in our small group called The Good and Beautiful Life. And he, he says this. About, about Israel recognizing this transformation, this transition, that it wasn't just for Jews, it was for everybody. He says this, he says, the broken down, the sinful, the ragamuffins of Israel flocked to see Jesus. They tore apart roofs, they climbed trees, they formed huge crowds to see him. They knew he offered a vast treasure and he was giving it away freely to everyone. Jesus was roaming Galilee telling others that God loves them. That God wants to commune with them and to bless them no matter who they were or what they had done regardless of their gender or their ethnicity. So the kingdom's available to everyone. And Jesus says, entrance into his kingdom isn't tied to family origin. It's not tied to religious effort. It's not tied to social standing. But rather, he is the entry point. And that's what they came to understand and we come to understand in Christ. That He is the entry point. That Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. That Jesus is the way into the kingdom of God, friends, for a reason. Because He is the kingdom in the flesh. 
That's who Jesus is. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the kingdom in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. And he doesn't invite people, friends, to a concept or to a religion or to an idea, or to a philosophy. That's the mistake so many people make. They think Christianity is well, it's just another philosophy in the world. you got Judaism, you got Christianity, you got Islam. No! Jesus is showing something totally different. He doesn't invite us to a concept or to philosophy. Rather, He invites us into a vibrant, interactive relationship with Himself, because that's what the kingdom is. It's living in relationship with the King. That's what we see in, in, at this time of revelation of history. That the kingdom, living in the kingdom, is not what they expected, some, some geopolitical something. It is living in a relationship with God the King Jesus. Church, that's the world-changing event that took place in a manger over 2,000 years ago. Emmanuel came to mankind and threw open the doors of the kingdom of God and welcomed everyone to make a choice. The same choice that Adam and Eve had to make. Choose God's kingdom or choose Satan's. He says there's no middle ground. And one of the mistakes I think we make in the church world today is we live as though there is a middle ground. We say, oh, there's God things and there's the devil's things, but there's my things. Friends, the reason the church is anemic and the reason the church is powerless so many times is because I believe the vast majority of us live in a false belief that there's a neutral middle ground. And we go, oh, there's a voice of God and the voice of Satan, and there's my voice. No, there's not. This is what God's trying to teach. There's God's voice, and there's the devil's voice. And that there is no middle ground. There's one or the other. That's what the Bible teaches. We might be uncomfortable with that, but that's what the Bible teaches. There's no middle ground. Friends, He, God Himself, His Son, Jesus is pursuing and calling to every person on earth. Choose the kingdom of God by choosing Jesus as your king. Submit to Jesus. And friends, to submit to Jesus means to die to the world with Jesus. It's not about just saying, oh, I just want to accept some philosophy. It's saying, live with Jesus. And to live with Jesus means to die with Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. That we live in the kingdom. We live under His love and protection and rule. We come to Christ. Friends, that's what Christmas is really all about. It's about the gift God gave mankind of the way to escape the kingdom of this world ruled by Satan's evil and enter into the kingdom of God's glorious Son. That's what Christmas... That's why it's all about Him. And it's not about presents. And it's not really about going to Grandma's house. It's all about Him. And friends, once you're in the kingdom of God, to then live a different and a better life in relationship with King Jesus, where His presence and His power and His rule become yours where you know what it is, friends, to be unconditionally loved and totally forgiven. To be at peace and secure in the care of King Jesus, who is in control of everything. That's what living in the kingdom is all about. There's nothing greater on the planet than to know that you, don't, you can't earn anything. You can't work hard enough. And once you're his child, you don't have to work. 
that you're unconditionally loved and totally forgiven in Christ when you come and you, you live with King Jesus. To be at peace and secure in the care of King Jesus who is in control of everything. Friends, a king, the king, who is right here, right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. He is here in our rejoicing, and He's here in our suffering, and He's here in our trials, and He is here to comfort us, and He is here to correct us. He is here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So that brings me to one final concluding question. So why do we still sing? O come, O come, Emmanuel. If Jesus has already come, it's because every person still needs to make the choice of whether or not they will live in God's kingdom or in Satan's. Who will really rule your life every single day? There is no neutral middle ground, regardless of what you think. Scripture says the opposite. And the only way into God's kingdom is by calling to Emmanuel. That's the gift God has given to any one of us this Christmas season. And this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's a reminder of the life that we are to be living if we have come to know Jesus as Emmanuel. A reminder that to receive Him is to receive Him as our King. That He is to rule our lives that we don't rule anymore. That was a lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. They were wrong. They thought they were choosing self-rule. They really chose His rule. To live for, to live with Him is to live with Him as King of everything. That's what we learn when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We're calling Him to be our King. That's what they did. That's what we did. It's our entry point into the kingdom and it is the model we live by the rest of our life once we're in the kingdom. He's King. And we're not. But friends, when you have that, when he's king and you're not, you get the blessing that nothing else, that yourself rule, Satan's rule, all the stuff of the world can never get you. You come to know what it is to be unconditionally loved by God and totally forgiven. To be at peace and secure in the care of King Jesus who's in control of everything. That's the greatest gift at Christmas, because that's really what it's all about. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Lord, I thank you that you are here right now. You're not far away, you're not distant. You're right here, right now. That your kingdom is at hand. And that you're calling to the whole world to come and to leave the kingdom of darkness and enter into the, king of your, the kingdom of your great light. And the Lord, I thank you that so many of us in this room have done that. And God, I pray that as we live in your light, we would learn what it is to live under your control. Thank you that you're gracious with us and you're kind. You give us time to, to grow and to mature and learn. But God, today I pray that today would be a, great, a day of great learning and advancement. A day where we recognize today that there is no neutral middle ground. And that I'm all in or I'm not all in. 
And that, Father, that you have something so much better for us than what this world could ever offer. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that you rule and reign. And now, Lord, I would ask that you would just give a gift to your church this year. A gift that maybe we didn't expect. A gift of evaluation that asks, am I living in this false belief that there's really a neutral middle ground? Do I have my religious life, and I know I don't want to live the devil's life, but I kind of live in this neutral middle ground? Give us the gift of showing this that absolutely doesn't exist. It's really not It's really not there. That that's never what you planned for your church. And God, that this Christmas, our eyes would be opened up and we would just be amazed at your love and your grace. And God, we'd want to leave the world behind. And we'd want to go all in with you, Jesus. God, if we've kind of slipped from where we once were walking with you, the things of the world have kind of come in and are in competition with, with you today. And we, we're honest with our own lives and we say, you know, once Jesus really was in first place, but, but now there's so many other things that compete. God, if, if that's the case, give us the gift of helping us see the truth today so the truth can set us free. Because God, what we want is your church. And I, Lord, Lord, this is true for us as a church. That's what we want. We want to be all in. We want to experience the blessings, the grace, the goodness, the the power and the presence of being all in. We don't want to have to live in that cycle that Israel did where they were being disciplined because they they were lukewarm. But we want to live in the joy and the power and the glory of just being completely, wholeheartedly living for you, Lord Jesus. Because, Lord, that's the greatest gift there is. So, Lord, I pray for, for this church family for all of us, starting with me. God, that this Christmas, it really would be all about you. And the stuff of the world would just begin to fall away. And God, our first love would really be our first love. You, you Jesus. Give us that gift. You have already. Help us to embrace it. Pastor Mitch just begins to sing in a moment. I invite you to come and to find a place to pray around these altars. Don't go if God's dealing with you. Find a place to pray around these altars and spend some time talking to Jesus, making Him first place, that it's all about Him. He gives us the gift of constantly reevaluating and realigning. Let's do that today. Then let's just walk out of here when God dismisses you with just the passion that it's all about Him. That He really is the King of our world and our lives. God bless you, church.